Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You wake up in the morning, and then what happens? <laughs> oh, put your headphones on, Peter. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, put your arms around. <laughs> I want to hug you and hug you and hug you some more. Right through all these microphone cables. Go ahead. I know I'm in the right time, in the right space. Do you feel that? Davis. David Kumon Kim asks us to imagine a social and economic system that's oriented towards compassion, generosity, and forgiveness. He believes that together we are a united force that can't be stopped, and he demonstrates a kind of hope, and he believes that we can have this kind of world if we purpose ourselves to do so. We talk about it a lot right here. This is my conversation with David Kuman Kim. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you and why are you in my studio? (laughs) Oh, I know why you're in my studio, darling. (laughs) So I am David Kuman Kim the son of Charles and Ann Kim. Uh, Confucius and Christian parents? Yeah, uh, right. So I, I, uh, that's right. I'm a, I'm a Christian and a New World Confucian. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and today I'm, I'm a dear friend to Helga's. Yeah. Not just today. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like every conversation, uh, I don't know, part of it is especially during these times or exactly. in these times. Exactly. Or, so everyone's feeling like the times are so heavy and thick, and so they have to name it. Yeah. Right? They have Ooh. to name it. Right? And, um, and that sense of obligation, like what are we going to name? How are we going to name it? How are we going to explain this? And can we explain it away? The naming and the witnessing mm. also right and and having to bear witness uh so that people don't feel crazy that's right and that so that they can continue to function in some way that where they're not depressed all the time that's or right. that's right well and when you think about what it is to bear witness it means to carry something right right it's an obligation it's a responsibility uh, uh. So what kinds of obligations do we have in this time, right? To be present, to see clearly, to feel clearly. And the burden is heavy, especially if you think you're doing it on your own. Especially. Right. Are you feeling lonely? Well, so here's my story. Mm -hmm. I associate aloneness Mm -hmm. with autonomy and freedom Uh, and so that that's been my my thing mm -hmm. right that i've i've not really known how to be in relationship with another human and feel autonomous and free and what happened? I I went to the opera the other night, 
and I made myself dinner because I didn't want to be hungry. I knew it was going to be long. Mm -hmm. And I ate my dinner, and I went to the opera, and I wasn't feeling great, but, you know, it's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. And before the end of the first act of The Merry Widow, mm -hmm. I looked at my friend, and I said, move. And I ran out of the Met, and threw up in the garbage can right outside the door. Mm. And then they asked me, you know, do you want us to call an ambulance? Do you mm -hmm. need a doctor? And I was like, nope. And then the usher ran me down to the bathroom and I was completely sick. Wow. I had to leave. Mm -hmm. And I got on the subway. I couldn't get on the first train that came because I was sick again. And I just kept thinking, just let me get home. Please just let me get home. Mm. Just let me get home. Just let me get home. And I got home. Mm -hmm. And every hour on the hour for the next five hours, I was up. Wow. Okay. I was so freaked out by the time the morning came right. that I called my ex and I said, this happened and I'm coming over. Hmm. I packed a bag and there was that part of my brain that's like, what are you doing? Where, <laughs> where are we going? Yeah. And I went and I've been there for three days. Wow. Allowing someone else mm. who knows me, who has been in relationship with me, yeah. who has been separated from me, right. who right. has fought with me, mm -hmm. to take care right. of me in a moment when I, I just was not able to take care of myself. And the kindness mm -hmm. with which I was met mm. is so completely humbling and I don't even have any words. But it took this for me to understand something bigger, mm -hmm. which is that I'm not alone. Mm. And right. then by the time my body stopped doing what it was doing, I was so weak. Wow. And and depleted that I just, I said, I'm not going to, it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. Right. I'm not going to stay by myself. Daniel got on a plane and went to L.A. Because wow. yeah, right, I probably right, would have right. gone there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Daniel wasn't here. And so I went and I stayed in a place where I used to live, where I no longer, right. like all yeah, all yeah. of it, all of it came undone. And here I am. You know, it, it came undone, and you were responding to be, being undone. Yeah. Right, and so, you know, that, that idea that you associated freedom and independence with being alone, and it comes at a cost. Yeah. You know, amongst the amazing things about your story is that you had 
the wherewithal to ask for help. Hmm. For someone who has spent so much time alone, to have the wherewithal, the resource, the strength, and let's say courage to ask for help. Because you knew the person you're going to ask help from would actually care for you. It's it's kind of incredible to hear you say this because I I didn't feel courageous in that moment at no, all. I get that. I get right? that. No, I get that. And and but but that that mustering of a a courage we don't we don't think we have that we don't think we're in possession of is it's rare and not right. And and so we we have convinced ourselves that it's rare. Someone might say, "Well, you were feeling desperate. You were fleeing." And said, you, you actually ran toward yourself. And that's real. That is real. That's real. Like you ran toward yourself. And in running toward yourself, you actually ran to somebody who loves you. I know when I packed my bag, I didn't feel like I was running away from anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, go, go get yourself taken care of. Right. And you can't be a person who talks about and talks to people about uh, connection and how do we cross the divide. Mm -hmm. You cannot be that person and in this moment isolate. Right. To isolate, isolate, (laughs) I mean, it means to be alone and it also means to cut yourself off from love. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, think about this. If the price of your freedom has been to cut yourself off from love. What kind of freedom is that? Well, I'm not going all the way there with you, (laughs) sir. I got you. I got you. We went went a little way there. (laughs) We went a little way there. I'm not going all the way there (laughs) with you. What did you bring to read? Oh. So this was a challenge for me. I wasn't quite sure. Um, Election day, I, I stayed up probably about five in the morning in disbelief, in confusion and pain, thinking that it couldn't have happened, couldn't Mm. be true. Mm. And I finally went to bed. And I was awoken by a call, and a friend said, "Um, you need to write something. You need to write something because people are out there, they're suffering, and you need to speak to them. I couldn't get out of bed, so I was, I just grabbed my phone and I started writing. So I'm going to read you a couple of things from this. Please. Dearly beloved, we need to gather our hearts together. We need to pull those we love close to us. We need to take care of ourselves and each other because we lost yesterday. And that loss was really a death. We need to give each other the dignity to grieve, to allow for the profound sadness to have its time, but not allow it to have all of our time. We need to move into this moment not with an anger and hatred comparable to that unleashed by this new president. We need to move with and toward love. Dearly beloved, I know you are tired and sad and confused. Everyone from all sides has been holding tight, and this morning we are all breathless and out of breath. There's no ready calm to be had right now, but I'm asking you to try to find your breath and to help each other to breathe again. 
slowly at first until the rhythm comes back into our lungs and we begin to remember who we are and who and what we love. Call your family and friends. Tell them you're hurt and sad and angry. Ask them for help. Gather together to remind ourselves that we are not alone and that great and good souls are amongst us. Many are already calling for action and I will be with them. Nevertheless, dearly beloved, indeed, each and every one of you are truly worthy of love. Let us act with hearts of compassion and with a spirit of generosity that is so desperately absent from the lives of those who voted in this president. Justice is clear in its call to us. Justice demands mercy, where mercy is the loving act of bending our battered and bruised hearts toward suffering. We need that justice, a merciful justice that seeks forgiveness and can render a good measure of care and kindness. I have hope because I have to hope. I have hope because I have two sons who will inherit this time and I love them too much to give up hope. For them and for all those you love, including this terribly flawed and broken nation, let us carry each other across these dark days. Let us be especially giving and generous. Let us be especially attentive to the hurt we are feeling. Let us find compassion, which is to say to feel deeply and with each other. And someday, not today, that is perhaps too much to ask. Let us hope that we can extend that compassion, generosity, and love to those arrayed in hatred and who are now in power. Hopefully someday we will be able to pull those hurting souls towards us, to affirm their hatred, but not to help them turn their hearts towards those who suffer, which is to say towards love. Go find your dearest ones, pull them close, tell them you love them, and let the loving work begin. It doesn't feel to me that we can ever stop doing this. Mm. That's right. No matter who wins, who loses, mm -hmm. this is not the point. No, it's not. Can I ask you what you're feeling? I was thinking a little bit about that day, the day after mm -hmm. I was here. I, I mean, I felt very, I felt violent. Right. Um, and when I say violent, I mean, I, I felt ready for a fight. Right, right. And I was a person who, it's like, the brown people don't have time to be sad. This shit is about to hit us right. full on. We can't be sad. We can't be in the corner crying. We have to get ready. Right. 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 <laughs> but what is it to get ready? I don't know. But that's that. Yeah. That was what I was feeling. And I came here, and there's a woman who works in the listener services department, and. We don't know each other particularly well, but I adore her. Hmm. And she looked at me and she threw herself into my arms mm. and began to weep. Mm. And all I could do was hold her. Wow. And then I had other friends around the building who were saying to me, I can't even look at you right now. And so I would go away from their offices. And in part, I think they felt embarrassed right. as white people that oh, this thing had right. happened. Yeah. 
and that they couldn't look at me. And so that was very, very hard. And I think I haven't thought about that Hmm. since, that a part of me got left out while everyone else was coming together around whatever they were coming together around. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm remembering that part of myself yeah. that got left behind. And I'm also just thinking about how fragile we mm. are and how important it is to be sitting across from you now, mm. to have spent the last three days in the circumstance, right. in the protection, under the protection mm. that I was able to spend it, spend it under, and the right. grace. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's something in that that brings me to tears and and makes me weep mm. for all of us. Right. But what blessed tears, if they're not just for you. Aren't you tired? <laughs> uh, because you're you're modeling a very particular thing, mm, and mm. you're more than talking about uh, or asking the question, "What do I do?" Mm-hmm. You're doing, mm. uh, or rather than only ask the question, "How do I show up?" for this, you're showing up mm. for lots of kinds of conversations right. with lots of different kinds of people. Right. And and so I'm, I'm wondering. Mm. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about exhaustion. You know, what is it to feel exhaustion but, and, and to live exhaustion? So that, that, that um, where you feel like you're, you're expelling breath that you don't even have. And you know, I would be lying to you if I said I'm not tired, mm-hmm. but I'm not done. For me, you know, when you see me in different places speaking with different folks, any kind of fatigue, any kind of exhaustion I feel goes away when I'm reminded that there are other people out there. And I'm reminded, actually, to get out of myself hmm. right? and, that, and to connect with people. Because the worst thing at this point is to keep ourselves in isolation, to keep ourselves separated from each other, to enforce a kind of loneliness, which I think does speak of the times. Mm. You know, how could we have been left alone like this? How are your students? Life on the campus in many ways feels, how would I put it, a bit fraught, sleepy, not in the quiet sense, but sleepy in the sense that people aren't quite sure what to do. So, you know, if you remember a year ago fall, you know, the campuses were dynamos. You know, they just, you felt this energy, this vibrancy. And now you feel this uncertainty. Hmm. Now, having said that, I'm, you know, I just finished teaching this first year seminar freshman a course called Love and Justice. It was such a glorious, glorious time. Because? Because these young folks, these brilliant young folks, gave themselves over 
to a 15 week long conversation. Mm-hmm. And I gave myself over. And I, I said this at the end of the semester, I said, I didn't, I didn't know I needed this as much as I did. And I thanked them, I said, I have to thank you for bringing all of yourselves to this conversation. Such that rather than have a final exam or a, a paper, I had them do oral finals and dialogues as to conclude the semester because I thought, I want to honor what we did over 15 weeks mm-hmm. in the spirit of it, which is to have a conversation, a dialogue to conclude the semester. And it was just beautiful. You know, the kinds of questions that we would ask, the kinds of risks that they would take. These 18-year-olds were willing to ask these huge questions. Like what happens when love breaks down? What happens when you can't find justice, but you know you have to seek justice? What do you do when you can't find that wherewithal to forgive someone who has harmed you, who caused you pain and suffering? These kinds of questions. So can you imagine outside of a classroom to have this kind of conversation in a sustained way? And you talk about privilege. I mean, it's not just privilege. I thought, like, what... A blessing it is that this is what I have been put on God's green earth to do. You know, to be in a space, in a dedicated space, in a dedicated conversation with young folks who are searching with sincerity for meaning, for identity, freedom. Yeah, it was amazing. And when I give talks around campuses around the country, there's a lot of despair out there. There's a lot of despair and there's a lot of, I guess I would call it confusion. What do you think they're confused? Uh, They're confused about what they should be doing in the moment. They feel overwhelmed by him. They feel confused about how to make good choices in their lives. Not just the everyday choices, but the bigger Mm -hmm. choices. What do I do about my future? Am I on the right path? Mm Mm-hmm. I had a therapist who used to say to me that confusion is is the state we engage when we don't want to feel something. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a form of detachment. Yeah. So we get confused because we don't want to know the thing that we really do know. I feel like we don't get much respite in every day. It's something staggeringly unbelievable happening. It, it feels to me mm-hmm. that a person who could say no isn't saying no. I, I, if people weren't saying no, mm-hmm. we would already be done. By which I mean that the force of what's going on right now, the mm-hmm. malevolence, the malicious malevolence of what's going on right now, the ferocity of it, is so, again, all-consuming, overwhelming, that people weren't saying no, if people weren't saying, people weren't standing in defiance, we would be done. We would be nothing. And so, you know, much of what I do these days is to remind people of their defiance, but their loving defiance. And the defiance takes all sorts. It takes all sorts of expressions. There you go with that word. Again. <laughs> you knew it was going to come. You knew it was coming. 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 It's a defiance. It's a refusal of evil. Hmm. It's a refusal of 
the forces that are trying to generate unjustified suffering. And it's important to, to redirect attention and say, look at what you're doing. You're saying no. You're refusing to accept what's coming down the pike. Not even down the pike, it's already here. Mm-hmm. Now, will we win today? Maybe not. Tomorrow, I don't know. I think much of what we're witnessing right now is kind of a, a forced maturation in the culture, in the political culture, in the moral culture. We can't have everything. You know, children, they think they want everything. <laughs> it's like, I, I want this, I want that, I want, I want it all, I want it all. But one of the marks of maturity is that you know you've got to make some choices because you can't have everything. You know, even if you are say the 1%. You can't possibly, say, drive all those cars and live in all those houses. You can't have everything. But to make choices and to understand that you live with those choices is a mark of our maturity. Hmm. And I think it's right now we're not there yet. I mean, we're kind of still in kind of adolescence. It would be lovely if we got to live long enough to be an elder. But right now, it feels like that, almost that that petulant, truculent time. (laughs) You know, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of angry words. Why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a classic adolescent question. Like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? And you're, you know, people are looking around. Folks are looking around. Who's going to help me? And then you realize that you're the adult in the room. And it's not a comfortable place to be. And for many folks, it's not a welcome place to be. Most of us don't welcome adulthood. (laughs) 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 We we didn't didn't welcome, and and I don't mean this in a Peter Pan kind of way, Mm -hmm. right? But we didn't welcome the, the departure from childhood. But it happens. Now, we got a lot of folks out there and stuck in kind of arrested development. But if we are stuck in that arrested development, we will be nothing. I was reading um, Colson Whitehead's Underground Railroad mm-hmm. on the subway. Mm-hmm. And an older gentleman came up to me and he said, my sister, you know, not all of us were nonviolent. And I said, okay, sir. Mm-hmm. And you need to go and get yourself a copy of We Will Shoot Back. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. And my question is, where is that in this moment when there is so much vitriol and hatred mm-hmm. and and just awfulness right. the people <clears throat> who did arm themselves and shoot back at the Klansmen, at the police where's that in this moment and and oh. is that not a necessary thing too i think the impulse let's call it the compulsion to defend oneself mm-hmm. right is a necessary one but what we choose to defend ourselves with 
is an important decision. You know, I mean, so the idea of like we will shoot back is a threat, but it's not necessarily an act. Hmm. You know, so like the the promise of the threat might be the defense. Uh, I was talking to Cornel West when after he came back from Charlottesville, and the um, the marches there. It got very dangerous very quickly for the, the religious leaders and clergy who had come to march in peace. And Cornell told me the story. He said at one point they were by a black neighborhood and this group of black militia told Cornell and Seku and the others, you need to get behind us. And I said, Cornell, black militia? And he said, and he said yeah, they weren't there to shoot back. They were there to protect their neighborhood. Mm. That's why they had the guns. Like, we will protect our own mm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. To respond with the same kind of enmity, the same kind of contempt for humanity that white nationalists and the, 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 the acid that's coursing through some folks right now, in my view, but in from my traditions, is just the wrong answer. We don't want to reduce our humanity by doing that. We want to promise something more, promise something deeper, we want to promise something fuller. So, you know, I think in this moment, I think there surely are folks out there who want to shoot back, honor the impulse, honor the compulsion, and then say, what else can you do? What else might you choose in this moment? That's going to honor where you came from, honor your people. Because the, the folks out there who are trying to annihilate you, the folks out there who are trying to kill you, they don't see you as human. So why corroborate that? Why reinforce that? You know, King, Gandhi, the nonviolent movements knew what they were up against. They knew that they were acultural. <laughs> they knew that they were... Uh, atypical and you always have to make the argument which is by the way showing up you know the argument is to be there and to show folks what it is to be present in love through love with love not to be low not to be base not to be compulsive but to be compassionate. Where does that sit with you? (laughs) I don't disagree with you, Mm -hmm. but I feel that I sit in a place of, of some kind of privilege, like Mm -hmm. it's a privilege to to have these thoughts that I can't go to my neighbors in Harlem who are losing their apartments Mm -hmm. and their homes whose sons don't have jobs whose children have inferior educations Mm -hmm. and make this argument so I'm going to disagree with you great I think you can make this argument. And I actually think you have to make this argument. So that I understand why you say you, you have this privilege that allows you to have these thoughts that 
somehow pulls you out of the world, right? It gives you a, this ability to think in a, in a kind of bracketed way. But if that's where the thoughts stay, you're right, that is privilege. Like you're having these thoughts, you're wrestling, having these moral questions challenge you. But if it's only going to challenge you, then you're not really doing all the work. So you go to your neighbors, sit with them, and you ask them, what do they need? You ask them what it's been like. And then you say, I know you're angry. I know you're hurt. I know it's not going to go away anytime soon. But just as you ran towards yourself, you asked them to choose themselves. To resort to violence is to choose something else, is to choose somebody else. But to say, you know, in this moment, in these desperate times, choose yourself. You know, have that self-regard. You know, find that dignity. Many of us are feeling sick-souled. Mm. You know, that's a phrase from William James. Mm. You know, the sick soul is seeking selves. Mm. But by refusing to attend to how sick we have been. No, I'm okay, I'm okay. This denial, this mm. evasion, this mm -hmm. evasion, of, like we're talking about heartbreak and heartache, this evasion of how hurt we are. You think you're protecting yourself. You know, these walls you put around your heart, you, these walls you put around yourself. Your fists are clenched mm -hmm. as if you're ready to fight. Mm -hmm. I am ready. I'm completely ready to you're fight. You're ready to fight, but you're not fighting every moment of the day. True that. Right? Mm -hmm. Every fighter needs to rest. There are rounds. <laughs> there are rounds, right? You got to get some water. Right. Right? And so, you know, what we just said, that the, the accumulation of all of that stress, the accumulation of all of that denial of how much we're hurting, that became too much for you. And the body had wisdom. Deep wisdom. Right? The body had wisdom. Deep it's wisdom. Like, it's like, get that out of me. Right. It's she, too much. Get that out of me. She took me out. There you go. There you go. Right, get it out of me. It does not belong here. I mean, think about the illness, pathologies. There are things in the body that don't belong there. The body's fighting them. You know, and, and marshalling armies to fight, but the resistance isn't always there. You know, we, we talked a bit about joy earlier, the mm -hmm. need for joy. We also need rest. When I mean rest, I don't just mean sleep. Right. Yeah. Let's turn the dial maybe from 11 to, I don't know, 6. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm that way too, and I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that. But you can't always have it up on 11 all the time. You can't be full volume all the time. You can't be full speed all the time. Your body said, sorry, we're shutting this down. Right. We're shutting it down. All right. It's time to stop, at least for a little while. And from one day to the next, mm -hmm. I was useless. <laughs> <coughs> well, you were totally yeah, I, you're, you're useless. useless. But I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing <laughs> you were feeling all of that for a long time. Mm. I'm guessing you were carrying all that for a long time. 
I didn't even realize. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, think about the ways in which we um, we take in stress into our bodies, you know, mm-hmm. tight shoulders, you know, clenched fists, headaches, the inability to look somebody in the eye. It's all this turning away from ourselves, refusing to believe how hard it is. We should honor those who struggle. We should honor those who suffer, mm. not punish them for suffering. It gets us, hopefully, someplace more human. So where is it going to get us? It might get us to health. It might get us to some kind of, some semblance of flourishing. God forbid it gets us to happiness. (gasps) (laughs) Stop! Stop talking! Stop that crazy talk. Stop it! thing that you do every day that Mm. every person can do that you feel connects you to yourself to your purpose Mm. to yeah yeah this sounds a little funny Mm. sometimes I have to remember to breathe I literally have to remind myself that I can take in more breath than I am. And so, that, you know, I find myself walking around in this shallow breathing. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm feeling lightheaded because I haven't been letting enough oxygen into my system. So you know, even that practice to say, take a breath and take a deep breath, that serves a couple of things, functions. One is that it allows us some time to pause, not to have to just run in. Like take a breath, take a deep breath. Now I say this, like I try to do it every day, I don't always do it every day. I should probably do it every hour, I don't always do it every mm-hmm. hour. Um, when I can, if I'm reminded of somebody I care about, Pick up the phone. Mm. You know, I text them. I don't email them. I pick up the phone, and I, I, I say, I was thinking about you, right? And so, what is it to make that call? What is it to tell someone that you were thinking about them? It's to make them present, like they were present in your mind. But could we be present to each other? I was just thinking about you. I mean, we all want someone we love to tell us that they were thinking about us. We want to be reminded that there are people out there in the world, as awful as it is at times, the people out there in the world that love us. So just as you called your ex, you got to be the one to reach out to say, hey, I need to reconnect. Hey, I need some help. Asking for help is a sign of strength. It's courageous. But it's not a part of the culture. At all. Right, at all. At all. And um, that's a sorry state. That's a sorry state. You know, I mean, those are some of the things I do. Um, 
I, I mean, I get energized when I allow myself to be fully present with somebody. You know, if it's just in you know, a coffee shop or, you know, chatting with the, the guy at the reception desk, just to connect on a human level. Again, not, a, not this transactional level. Like, what are you going to do for me? Right. Like, is my coffee here yet? No? Yeah. Right, but on a human level, like, how's your day going? You know, to ask about their humanity, to ask about what's going on for them, which is also a way of recognizing other people. I mean, so much of this disconnection is that we don't feel like we're seen. We don't feel like right. we're felt and heard. Right. And, you know, it's just, it is an act of kindness. It is an act of, of love. It's an act of grace. Well, it, it's kind of, it goes back to my morning practice. Like, so my morning practice is to say good morning to everyone I pass mm. between my building and the subway. That's beautiful. And... Is it a greeting? Do you, I a, literally, I look at people and I say, good morning. Hmm. And I make sure I say it loud enough so mm-hmm. that they hear me, so that I hear me. Um, and that the point of it is, is not about whether or not I get a response. So, so that the, the ego struggle mm-hmm. is lessened. Um, but I am more and more amazed at once people get over the shock Mm. of having been spoken to the joy with which they respond. Yeah, But think about the phrase, good morning. It's actually shorthand for have a good morning. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, you know, I was thinking, I didn't think about this until you just said it, that if you say to somebody, have a good morning, you're giving them something. Hmm. It's not just a greeting. Right. You're saying, like, here, have a good morning. Have a good morning. And I actually mean it. Have a good morning. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a gift, but it's also an invitation to actually have that. I mean, you must feel that. You're giving people things. I, I don't think about it mm-hmm. in, in a... I don't think about it yeah. that way. Yeah. But you feel it. But I feel it, yeah. Yes. I do. You know what you said about it's not feeding your ego? I think it's quite important in this. You know, so that so much of what drives, let's call it American culture, is ego-centered. It's transactional. Right. Right. I'm going to give you something, but I'm expecting something in return. Yeah. And that felt like the first and most important thing to let go of. There you go. Right. How hard was it to let go of that? Not as hard as I thought it would be. Hmm. Because this is the thing I can do. I see. Right. Right. So then what I want or need is less important. What's trippy is to do it in other countries also. Like where? Uh, So I just came back from Abu Dhabi. Mm. Oh, that's right. Parable of the Sower. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting there. You're not supposed to look at these people in the eyes and don't do this and don't do that. And mm-hmm. But to just say good morning right. or good day right. and stick to it. So to say, yes, I am, I'm female, I'm American, right. 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 I'm... I'm not trying to challenge you culturally, mm-hmm. 
but this is this is how I this is what I know mm-hmm. and I'm offering this in this space. It's what you know, but it's also who you are. I'm guessing that if you said good morning to folks in Abu Dhabi or in Brooklyn or in Harlem and people thought you to felt you to be insincere or inauthentic, they wouldn't take it. Right. That's who you are. Hmm. You know, I was in um, South Korea earlier this fall, and uh, <laughs> my family uh, members were giving me a hard time. They said, um, David, you're a hugger, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you're, yeah. Uh, and, the, and uh, you know, like my uncle said, um, well, Americans are huggers, right? And I said, no. Hmm. They're not. We're not. I wish we were. Mm. I wish we were meaningful huggers. Like when I think about hugging, it's it's to close that gap between folks. Literally pull somebody to you. Yeah. And for them to pull you to them. Yeah. Right. And then to stay there, to stay in that space where there's no gap. You know, through the anxiety, through the fear, through the question, you're like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, why do I feel so? What is this good feeling? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel so strange? You know, which can be a, a kind of a sad question, which is, you know, like, why don't I have more of this in my life? Mm-hmm. Right. So when you say good morning, have a good morning. Here, ma'am, sir, have a good morning. Let's close that gap. Mm-hmm. Let's not have anything sit or stand between us except us. You know, and that's a moment where you come together with your neighbor. And it's not just you make the argument say, you know, have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's right. another thing, too, mm-hmm. that it, it feels um, like I'm making a commitment. That's right. That's a right. commitment to stay and to to be part of a conversation That's and right. that it is not just this thing of of uh, you know asking about stuff and mm-hmm. I'll have a conversation but also to have some community right you know it's like a, you know a coming together embedded in that word community mm-hmm. is common and so you come together so you build something that you couldn't do on your own your neighborhood is struggling you know, as you say, because of uh, under-resourced, inadequate education and social support and spiritual deprivation. People are tired now, but they're also hungry. Yeah, that's for sure. They're hungry. And we're hungry for things that are really going to sustain us. Right, because, you know, right now I took... Um, People are eating a lot of things, but I think those things are eating them alive. Mm -hmm. Like anger, like enmity, like vitriol, like contempt. You know, you eat those things and they eat you. Yeah. You consume those things and they will consume you. And, you know, to go to your neighbors to, as you say, make an argument, you're not really making an argument, you're actually inviting them into a different way of life. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful, powerful thing. You know, when I wrote there of 
mercy as bending a heart towards suffering. You know, it's really a, uh, it's really a hope. To be your dearly beloved. That's right. It's um, dearly beloved because you are loved. And I, you know, I, I was mindful after the fact that David <laughs> um, is a translation of beloved. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Ooh. <laughs> We're being asked to orient ourselves towards love-driven politics. Well, we've started here. You can reach out to me on Facebook. I'm Helga Davis. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of Helga was edited by Crystal Hawes with help and mastering by Irene Trudell and original music by Alex Overington. New Sounds senior producer is Alex Ambrose. To learn more about New Sounds and to discover hand-picked genre-free music 24-7, visit our website at newsounds.org. 